spoil the movie by adding your own commentary. Hello and welcome to Sideflix, a podcast where we see what's in theaters so you don't have to. My name is Christian Skillian. I'm Julia Pershing. And we're back really quickly after our first episode. Yes, um, but only because we had an opportunity to see a movie we both had really wanted to see. It's actually funny because we're like, we're seeing what's in theaters so you don't have to, but like odds are most people have already see- who wanted to see this have seen it in theaters because it's been out for like a, m- a month and a half. Yeah, it came out, I think, in November. Like it was a Thanksgiving release. Um, I, yeah, or early December. Um, and then I think it actually ended up having a really limited release because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but we saw Licorice Pizza last night, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie and probable Oscar favorite. I went into this, like, I had seen a lot of the discourse surrounding the movie. I hadn't read any reviews because I really wanted my opinion to be, um, you know, as mm-hmm. personal as could be. And I don't, I don't love having things impact my opinion while viewing. Um, but it, it occurred to me that a lot of the discourse I was absorbing was um from like the woke police uh yes they have a lot to say about licorice pizza and most things but yeah okay so I I I really understand the concern Mm -hmm. you know um but I do think that this is something that movies can and will and continue to be made about and when people are like I just like I don't know think I could ever sit down and watch a movie about like this you know relationship that I find really unsavory and I'm like okay then I wish you all the best as you limit yourself to watching the CW for the rest <laughs> of your life and I thought this was handled with a lot more care than people were giving it credit for and I, for the most part, had a good time. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to hear, Julia, what you think. So give me your initial thoughts on Licorice Pizza. Um, my initial thoughts. So for people who haven't seen Licorice Pizza, um, it is basically about um, a friendship relationship between a 15-year-old named Gary Valentine and a 25-year-old woman named uh, Alana Kane. And I really had so much fun watching this movie. It kind of falls apart a little bit for me at the end. Agreed. Um, But I am a real sucker for like 70s golden California nostalgia, which is very much what this movie is playing up. And I think that both of these actors are just so charismatic and have such excellent chemistry with one another that I was really enjoying watching them. There are a couple of like hot shot celebrity like moments stunt casting stunt casting um which really just add like a little something to the movie like I love seeing I loved seeing Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. he has a really great bit um I thought that it was like really authentic I probably would watch it again yeah I think I would too um it's interesting you know it's very um sort of nostalgic and like Paul Thomas Anderson is obviously really interested in this time period and place like Boogie Nights being his probably most famous mm-hmm. movie although you really can't even say that anymore he's such a you know yeah household but it's name but also like where he grew up yeah so it's personal for it's him. definitely personal and you see that a lot with you know other directors um of that elk um yeah I really liked it I thought it was really honest especially in its representation because like you know a lot of the times when people set things in the 70s it's like the sort of fantastical sepia toned like 
idealized version and there is Mm -hmm. there's definitely an element to that totally but then there's also a lot of stuff that's like that's what it that's the way it looked in my head when my parents talked about growing up Mm -hmm. and I thought that that was really brilliant yeah I I um I enjoyed it I do think the end it is 100% too long yeah and I, I I there's not even necessarily anything I would cut like any because it's done in vignettes, basically. Mm-hmm. There's not any, like, part I would cut except for maybe the restaurant stuff. Um, the Japanese restaurant, not the Sean Penn <laughs> motorbike <laughs> That did go jumping. on for a long that time, That went on for a really long time. Um, and I think that it ultimately ends for, like, a really sort of um, rushed and then, like, slightly convenient ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I really, really had a great time. I, the first thing I want to talk about is the cast. Stunning. Yeah. I mean... So Paul Thomas Anderson is, I guess, a massive Haim fan and was mm-hmm. like, Alana and Haim family, will you be in my movie? And they were like, I don't act. And he was like, okay, I'm Paul Thomas Anderson. So you do what I say <laughs> so, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, but also just like to have that be the person who's sort of easing you through your first movie. And obviously, like, she's a performer. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's she's not- Alana Haim. Like, she's, <laughs> yeah, she's fine being in front of a camera and on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that was a really... A really interesting choice. I really think that, you know, obviously Cooper Hoffman is going to have a, a pretty good career ahead of him. Um, I think a lot of people are talking about how nostalgic they felt because he's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, but I think he really stood apart from his dad's shadow enough for me to not really think about that. Although I agree. I was touched because I love Philip Seymour mm-hmm. Hoffman like everybody. Um, but you know what I really liked about the casting? Hmm. Apart from like... Bradley Cooper because he's Bradley Cooper there was nobody in this movie who didn't look like a real person like nobody was serving just like celebrity right I have that in my notes as well um like everybody is obviously you know Cooper Hoffman's gonna turn into an incredibly handsome young man mm-hmm. um you know and like he's super cute already but like you know Alana Haim has like crooked front teeth and you know he has his pimples and like everybody just looks like they are authentically inhabiting the world that they live in mm-hmm. um which is something you don't see a lot in mainstream movies like people aren't allowed to be dirty let alone normal looking yeah and that I think automatically endears me to a film I yeah and I think it's sort of like I said like the design is very like the you know element of the locations and the costuming it all feels very earnest and then to have people look like that it doesn't feel like somebody's like imposing a story onto actors it feels like somebody is telling a story with a group of people which I really appreciated mm-hmm. um yeah and I, I think that them together had really good good chemistry uh, obviously it can be sort of uncomfortable to think about the idea like oh there's this th- this relationship between this 25 year old and this 15 year old which admittedly like upon hearing about what this movie was about I was pretty put off but the way that it unfolds is so much more organic and like cognizant of the situation than mm-hmm. you'd think um and not necessarily critical of it but does go through the process of explaining why um there are setbacks and like why it makes you uncomfortable mm-hmm um, but yeah, that first scene where they meet and she's like an assistant for the photography company that's taking school photos at his school, he immediately charms her. He's so sweet and romantic towards her very quickly, um, in a way that she's easily charmed by because we like about 30 seconds later, we see the guy who runs the photography company, like slap her on the ass. Yeah. And it's like very clear that 
the men in her life do not treat her with the kindness enough to like be respectful, let alone like earnest. Mm-hmm. And I think she sees this innocence and this earnestness and thinks I don't get that from anybody else in my life. And it's like he convinces her to go on this date. And she's like, we cannot date. I'm 25. And from then on, the friendship progresses like pretty naturalistically. And I think it's really engaging. I think it is, too. I think um, part of what I find interesting about that is that Alana is in real life and also in the movie, the youngest of her sisters who all live at home. She feels kind of like adrift in her world, you know, on their like first quote unquote date, Gary asks her, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know. And he starts throwing out all these ideas. Like you could start a business, you could do whatever. And she's like, well, I don't know. I just don't know what's going on. And I think she's so charmed by meeting a kid who is so much younger than her, who has this incredible, like, drive and he knows what he wants to do and he's so confident and you know she's clearly like looking for that sort of companionship outside of her family that you don't get because you're like you're not in school and here comes this kid who wants to give you all of those opportunities and it makes complete sense why she's taken in by him oh totally and it's sort of like um it's a naivete and like a sort of dreaminess that she is touched by because he's like well I can do this I can do this I'm an actor I'm gonna start this and like that sort of motivation is like so un sort of hindered by um reality Mm -hmm. that she gets swept up in it pretty easily and then later she comes to find herself really frustrated by it when they really start to break down in their maturity gaps Mm -hmm. um but the way that starts is, is is really endearing I also think it's really clear how emotionally stunted she is like right off the bat oh yeah like, she's living at home. All of her sisters live at home. She clearly hasn't left where she grew up. She doesn't have a lot to, like, push her out of her comfort zone or make her develop as a person. Apparently, she's had, like, a sort of stream of, like, kind of shitty boyfriends that are probably preventing her again from maturing. So it does sort of feel like when they meet initially that they're on the same page. And as you start to see them drift apart, you get a little bit more of that. But she immediately wants him to like her. With, uh... I get it, though. It's nice to be liked. It's nice to be liked, um, which is such a basic thing to say, but it really works out. And I I loved watching their relationship develop, which I think, again, with the woke police being like, these people should not be spending time together. Um, You're right. You're right. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be, but this is a movie. (laughs) It's a movie. And I think because they set up her, like, emotional stuntedness so early it it is not as uncomfortable as you think it is yeah I mean I think the biggest issue is the ending I think it one would be far more satisfying to me as a viewer to have them make the decision to split because I think ultimately like it reflects that they didn't grow as characters that they stay together or they decide to be together at the end or whatever they also narratively have those options Yes. Yeah. Um, but like at the beginning, I think it, it really is is compelling. And not only is she clearly stunted, he has clearly had to grow up in a way that like she doesn't really understand. Like he's this child star. He's clearly a provider for his family. His mom is constantly out of town, town and he's like the chief provider for his little brother. Mm-hmm. So like there is part of his life that does look a lot older to her. And then, you know, she ends up driving him around because he's 15. So there is like pieces of where they could they are sort of reaching out towards each other and then parts where they can't because of how the age difference but I think that that does like sort of make it more compelling all the same to find those ways that they don't connect and whether or not they 
approach them. He's also sort of like this little entrepreneur who's yes. like selling waterbeds and then later opens a pinball arcade. Um, he goes to get like suits made for these events like he takes it so so seriously yeah which is hilarious because like he thinks he's being such a grown-up but the audience is like look at this little like foppish like dandy who's Mm -hmm. like i need a pink suit to open my pinball arcade Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean and i think that the sort of like progression of of how it works out is again compelling until like the last 30 minutes Mm -hmm. um and it's Clearly, like, a, um, not, like, a plot movie, which yeah. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's more compelling all the same. If there was some, like, you know, huge, like, massive conflict that tears them apart, that's where it would start to seem, like, ingenuine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, what, el- what else do you think? Um, this movie was really funny. I laughed so hard. It, I, um, feel like the last many times that I have been to a movie theater in the past year, um, I have laughed so weakly. What does it say about us that the two funniest movies we've seen in the last six months are Scream and (laughs) Licorice Pizza? I, you know, I just think that, like... Not us. Us as a culture. As a culture. Well, I think, um, you know, when I think about all of the movies that I saw in theaters this year, a lot of it was Marvel stuff, Mm -hmm. which is clearly being targeted at sort of a younger audience. And Licorice Pizza is, like, it's rated R. It's it's for adults. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's kind of, like, a sharpness to the humor that doesn't exist in more, like, broad mainstream things. Yeah. and also, you just have this group of really incredibly talented people. I think I laughed the most at um, Bradley Cooper's. Oh my god! Bit. Yeah, he is so so funny, and you know he has this whole monologue that goes on really long. But then they bring him back for just like one last little bit. Yeah, that is only funny if you've really if you've been paying attention. Uh-huh. Um, but I really enjoy that because this was a movie that was asking you to pay attention and you're rewarded. Yeah, if you do. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper's stunt casting was incredible. He is hilarious and it also like there's an element of when Bradley Cooper and even Sean Penn but mostly Bradley Cooper is on screen of like comfort and like ability to perform in the situation that like a very young actor like Cooper Hoffman and a sort of non-actor although I hope she continues to act yeah because I thought she was great yeah like Alana Haim and then you have Bradley Cooper who is you know mega famous superstar Oscar nominated Mm -hmm. Bradley Cooper come in and be this like absolute buffoon in the most like committed and deliciously like self-absorbed way Mm -hmm. as demanded by the character and it is like it sort of takes you out for a second and puts you right back in where you're like, I am, I could, yes, yeah. <laughs> Best supporting Bradley Cooper. Best supporting. Well, he also, what I f- find funny about that is like Sean Penn um, looks, Sean Penn looks like a movie star. There's really nothing that you can do mm-hmm. about that. Mostly because he looks like Sean Penn. Because he looks like Sean Penn and we all know what Sean Penn looks like. Um, but in terms of like the normalness of how everyone's looking, you know, Bradley Cooper's got kind of this Bee Gees hair beard situation going on and he just looks kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. And I think that adds to the charm of his little cameo. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's more than a cameo, but like um he just looks normal (laughs) yeah and I think there's an element to like Sean Penn's casting as well that is because you obviously walk into a movie in if you see Sean Penn you have your like external ideas of him because he is uh, a PR nightmare Mm -hmm. um 
and has, you know, done and said a lot of ridiculous things. So you automatically are like sort of like, oh, Sean Penn. And then to have him be like a skeevy actor is like really self-aware of Sean Penn and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. You were given exactly what you were expecting. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like, I guess there's like this sort of when talking about the, the casting for Gone Girl, um, when they were trying to cast um, uh, Nick's character. Mm-hmm. Like, it was sort of suggested that they bring in Ben Affleck, and David Fincher was like, no. And then he was like, actually, the obvious choice is the good, is the right one. And it's like, that was a really fun, because, like, you're like, ew, Sean Penn, and then he behaves like how you imagine Sean Penn to behave, and you're mm-hmm. like, perfect. Yeah, that was so skeevy. And obviously that scene is very funny. Another element that I find really compelling is the sort of um, dynamic between slapstick and, like, verbal comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this part where... Uh, Bradley Cooper is like leaning over both of them to help Alana <laughs> drive this truck, and he's like talking to her, and it's oh god, his it's face so is literally funny. on her face. Yeah, yeah, and she can't see out the front of the truck. And meanwhile, he's like babbling nonsense. So there's like this sort of really, really, really good relationship between physical comedy and and, and delivered comedy. Um, yeah, I just, I, I was happy with how funny I thought it was. I also thought it was really great how well other sort of um, relationships were developed. Mm-hmm. I think the relationship between the Haim sisters, obviously they're sisters, they're just- their relationship <laughs> is going to show up on screen, but like the family and the way that they interact with each other was really compelling. Um, they clearly all have relationship to like, to um, Gary's like friends, basically. Mm-hmm. And we keep hearing these other things about him where like, Clearly, like, Alana has developed relationships with his friends, and I think that's really interesting. And then the places where those things start to crumble a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. at one point, Cooper is, like, kind of going after a girl his own age, and it, like, kind of makes Alana really mad. And, like, I think that there's a really interesting, like, dissection of jealousy Oh, yeah. And it's not really targeted at that girl. It's not targeted at Frisbee, who in the bathroom of the Japanese restaurant God. like says that she's been giving Cooper, no, Gary, hand jobs. Um, and she's like really sort of uncomfortable with that. And ultimately, I think that's what leads her to show her boobs to mm-hmm. Gary. And it's less about Gary and more about somebody else having what she thinks that she has. Yeah. And then the ways to maintain her having it, like to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like jealousy is obviously like a really potent emotion, but like to an extent, jealousy is an immature emotion. And the fact that she's so caught up in it really, again, sort of brings yeah. you to understand how these relationships are interacting with each other. Yeah. I thought that was a really, um, interesting way to kind of show Alana's, um, evolution throughout the movie, because I, you know, when I was reading some of the reviews, a, a word that came up to describe her at the beginning of the film from a lot of critics was that she's just bored. Mm-hmm. And when she meets Gary, she becomes so, so invested in something. And I think that's part of the reason why her family doesn't seem to have much of an issue with the fact that she's hanging out with this 15 year old and all of his friends mm-hmm. is because perhaps Alana didn't care about anything before. And when you go from not caring about anything to have something you, having something that you care about so so deeply and then you see that being threatened by somebody else you don't know how to deal with that because you've never been that invested in something before and it's not necessarily romantic Mm -hmm. but it's just like the depth of her caring about that situation and then feeling threatened uh yes I agree I also think that this movie does a far more um 
balanced job of handling like sex and conversations about sex than I than you thought it was going to yeah mostly again from like the discourse (laughs) (laughs) don't go on twitter it's a hellscape Mm -hmm. um but like they clearly like are attracted to each other and they keep sort of making these like innuendo-y jokes that they like can't get over the bridge to be like we're not joking or even begin to talk about or process their attraction to each other one because that would feel like it that is the step they can't take because Mm -hmm. of their age gap because of the relationship they've built up but it's also because he's a 15 year old boy who has really immature ideas about sex Mm -hmm. and like you know when when she comes in and she's like she shows uh him her boobs he's like can i touch them and it's sort of like, like no no like he and like i think the fact that they really that is the most sexual thing that happens between them or i mm-hmm. guess there's like the one part where they're laying on the waterbed and he like goes to almost feel her up and mm-hmm. then doesn't um is really intelligent especially because it's clear that the way that like men behave sexually towards like Alana, like especially Bradley Cooper's character, who is like this absolute like nymphomaniac, mm-hmm. and the Sean Penn character, and, and a lot of other people, like and how we see her treated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something f- more comforting about being some around somebody who's not going to do anything, even if it feels weird, because she feels safer in that place. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I yeah, I mean, I think this movie could have gone way in the other wrong direction um but it never does and so that's why I didn't feel uncomfortable watching it no I I was totally prepared to and I think what I I brought up after was there's like a couple of comparable features I think the one that I mentioned was Diary of a Teenage Girl yeah you were talking about that which is a 2015 movie about like a girl growing up in San Francisco in the 70s and she's really sort of obsessed with sex and the way that teenagers are and ends up like sleep having an affair with her mom's boyfriend who's played by Alex Skarsgård who is the world's most perfect asshole <laughs> um on screen I'm sure Alex Skarsgård's a nice guy um but you are really disgusted a whole lot of time you're meant to feel super uncomfortable you're meant to be really hyper aware that this relationship is really fucked up this guy's a total scrub she ends up being like um having like a this sort of hyper focus and like serious like um what's the word uh like sexual like precociousness to her Mm -hmm. where she's like away from her peers at a certain point and you're supposed to be sort of really you're supposed to like find this whole situation really repugnant Mm -hmm. and that's because that's what that movie is exploring this movie has kind of no interest in exploring that like it's definitely a, a a subcurrent but not the main focus and i think that's another reason as to why it ends up being so watchable yeah well especially because i think Paul Thomas Anderson is so much more interested in the maturity gap as it pertains to like Alana's worldly experiences versus Gary's. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Um, well I, we were talking a lot about this in our kind of debrief last night after seeing the movie that there is this scene where, um, because this is set in the seventies, it's also, you gotta address the oil crisis, (laughs) the energy crisis that there was no oil. Um, and they are stuck on a hill and, in a truck after a, delivering a waterbed to Bradley Cooper. In, like, a moving truck. Yeah. Um, and they don't have any gas, and they realize that they have to reverse down this incredibly windy, twisty mountain. And Alana is handling it with, like, you know... Finesse. S- nerves of steel. Um, and she gets down there. They all make it out alive. 
the truck stops like in the middle of the road and Gary is like ecstatic. He thought he thinks that that was the coolest thing. He's laughing. He's joking. He and his friends go to buy the oil to fill the truck up and they're like joking around, jerking off the oil bottles. And Alana is just sitting on the curb thinking about, you know, we all could have died. Not only just that, the reason why they have to do that, why they have to do this like grand exit and can't just leave the truck and then go get gas and come back. It's that Gary has in this rage of jealousy about the way that Bradley Cooper was treating Alana, Mm -hmm. uh, crowbars his car. Yeah. So they can't stay. So automatically she's had to do this terrifying thing that none of them can do because none of them can drive. Um, The very idea of her doing what she does is like, uh, NASCAR who? Like, you have to be so, like... I was on the edge of my seat the yeah, whole time. Yeah, terrifying. And she's sitting there. Her nerves are destroyed by, like, navigating this incredibly mm-hmm. scary situation. Because, like, LA is all hills. Yeah. You could get, you know, not be able to break and get killed at any moment. And you're doing it in reverse. Or you could kill somebody else. Or kill somebody I else. I really exactly. thought that was about to happen. Oh, my gosh. And so he's put her in the situation... She's clearly frazzled, and then he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world because he made it out, and that's how teenagers are, like, Mm -hmm. truly. And they even have this conversation where he's like, well, everything is about me. Yeah. Well, and just a further evolution of her understanding where they kind of fall apart in the way that they connect to each other because they're, like, sitting in a diner watching the news about the oil crisis and people bring up Vietnam and, like... Alana clearly cares about that maybe because she feels like she has to because she's an adult and Gary's just like well that doesn't have anything to do with me yeah and that clearly bothers her yep yeah and well I think that's sort of the breaking point because that's when she goes and goes to go volunteer at um council city council person wax's office Mm -hmm. and she's like you don't care about what's going on in the world this you just it doesn't affect you because when you're a teenager nothing affects you no, I you know you ever see those TikToks that are people are like me begging for a Wii while my parents are getting a divorce yes. over the 2008 economic crisis. Yeah the, yeah, the Great Recession. But you know, when you're eight or nine, you have no idea what that's about. No, and that's how Gary is, and that really frustrates her because Alana has to deal with the realities of being an adult and can't. It is all of a sudden put herself in a situation where her closest, emo- like her closest emotional companion, is somebody who does not feel those fears or anxieties. So then she goes on and she starts working at the, you know, campaign office mm-hmm. for um, Joel Wax. Joel Wax. Sorry, I could not remember his first name. So mm-hmm. he, he's running for mayor and she feels like she's doing like this really big thing. He's clearly like a very like, you know, he feels he, it, it's he's supposed to be like sort of like the left leaning young kid type of guy. Anti-corruption. Yeah. Kind of thing. And you, uh, this is where I think things start to fall apart because I think that the most satisfying ending of this movie is for them to part ways and realize that their relationship was toxic mm-hmm. and unsettling and unhealthy for the both of them and then to find people their own age. And then she has like one night and you know really quickly like it's not explicitly said but heavily hinted that Joel Wax is gay. Mm-hmm. She has this night where he doesn't use her he asks her to help him out of a situation where he knows he's being followed by somebody who's spying on him mm-hmm. and he's out to dinner with his boyfriend and he you know um his boyfriend is clearly upset that like their entire relationship is being fueled by his political career and not being able to exist you know together as a couple and they leave and they have this conversation like alana walks out with a boyfriend so it looks like they're together mm-hmm. 
And they leave and have this conversation. And he's like, God, isn't it horrible the way that like men, you know, treat us? And she's like, yeah. And like, that's what makes her decide that she's going to go back to Gary. And I was like, I think that that is the most insensitive part of this movie. I like, I think there was a way to make it interesting. Cause I think the whole idea that she has to be like the sort of person to save him from this, you know, public relations, mm-hmm. whatever was, it would be interesting, but <laughs> equating their relationship problems with her relationship to Gary is like, I, I no, 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 are not. I thought that way. was so weak. They're not in any way comparable. And I think that like, I was already a little frustrated with how long the movie was going on. And then, Oh my God, (laughs) it was, this was like an hour. This was at the two hour mark. And I was like, okay, now I'm angry and Mm -hmm. it's really long. Yeah. It really took me out, um, of what I was feeling about these characters and the place where they, because like, you know, the Valley is a character, whatever. Like I was feeling a lot of emotions that I would feel uh, that I would classify as mostly positive. Um, towards this movie and then that happened and I was just like that is so not the point no of their relationship and it also feels really shoehorned in yeah there are a couple of things the ending is so shoehorned and there, like we said like there's the scene with the you know motorcycle where like Sean Penn is gonna she's gone to this audition to be in Mm -hmm. a movie with Sean Penn's character and um who does he keep comparing her to? Uh, Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. Which, like, yeah, yeah okay, I get it. <laughs> okay. Um, and so she's, like, really swept up by him. And, you know, then he jumps a motorcycle over some fire, but kicks her off the bike. And, like, Gary rescues her. And, like, that's kind of sweet. But that scene goes on forever. Forever. And it's it really felt like the issues about timing and how long it was was, like, a kill your darlings problem. Well, especially because there were things I was more interested in that didn't get uh, enough screen time in my opinion mm-hmm. or were never followed up on yeah um like I thought one I really like the actress who plays um Gary's mom but she shows up in like two or three scenes and is never spoken about or heard from again yeah and same with this she there's this moment where you think that like Alana is gonna kiss this boy she knows from high school who gets her the the volu- like the, the job at mm-hmm. um the campaign office and you're like Oh, like, the, I really would love that that's, if this is how, because clearly he, like, sees she's brilliant. He wants her there. He clearly likes her. He's so handsome. And he, like, likes her in an adult way, not in, like, a sexual way, but in, like, a mature person approaching a mature person. This is my peer? Yeah, type of way. And so you are sitting there, and you already know that Gary has, like, this sort of flirtationship with this girl from his class, and you're like... Yeah, like, these people should come, like, sort of, you know, wrong time in their lives type of way, meet each other, go through this relationship, and then make the the conscious decision to separate and, mm-hmm. like, maybe stay friends or maybe not, because that would be weird at this point, given everything they've gone through. But the fact that, like, she has this one bad experience with her boss, uh, which is not bad, because you at first, there's, like, a chance where you're like, oh, my God, is he hitting on her? I thought he was gay. Anyway. Um, but then you just feel like a lot of empathy for him yeah you feel yeah you really do and 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 his partner um and then that is a thing that makes her run to gary and gary's whole sort of motivation to find her is that his sisters her sisters are at the pinball and it's like you know where she works yeah go find go her. find her and like there's a scene that i really think was interesting where she's talking to her sister and she's like do you think it's weird that I only hang out with Gary and her friend, his friends? And her sister, her sister says no. 
And I think that they're, I think that that scene, she says, I think it's weird. And you're like, yeah, if you think it's weird, if you think it's weird, then it's weird. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And so you have this like all jammed into this like last chunk of the movie. It is so poorly paced. So like clear that like, and I don't know this, if this is true about Paul Thomas Anderson, but like, I feel (laughs) like I could sit him, I could feel him sitting in the editing room and being like, this has to stay, this has to stay. Mm Mm-hmm. It's horrifically poorly paced, and then you it ends with this kiss, and you're sort of like, mm, didn't want that. Which is didn't want that. such a bummer, because the first two-thirds of this movie are incredibly well-paced, and dealing with that in a really respectful, sensitive manner. I, I, it's also like, if they were going to kiss, I don't think it should have been at the end of the movie, and I don't think... Like, it just felt like such a weird, like... Hollywoody version of this. Well, it didn't feel like the sort of like auteur's version of this story where it would end in sort of like a more natural, like less forced, like rom com y way. And I was just sort of like, what the heck? It was like an obligatory happy ending, which I thought was so boring and also like not the happy ending. Like it's no. not a happy ending because you are already uncomfortable by their relationship. And it's not just that it ends with them kissing. That the last line of the movie before it cuts to black is her saying, I love you, Gary. And yeah. And like, okay. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's funny because, like, you know, we're talking about, like, it, is is it, you know, okay to tell stories about this age gap? Yeah, it's okay to tell stories. Who cares? It's mm-hmm. about how you do it. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, you just undid all the work you did to make this compelling and interesting and sympathetic because now I'm just weirded out because it is so half-baked mm-hmm. and like not natural and like a, a, a bad decision made on the character like on the 25 year old's part yeah i also especially because at, at one point she says she's gonna meet brian the guy she works with at a different bar later mm-hmm. and i really thought i was like briefly briefly i was like that's where she's running and then the fact that it wasn't i was like no leave no. the 15 year old alone Leave him alone. You know, there's actually one part where I thought I was making this up and then I was reading another review where when they're in the truck and Bradley Cooper's asking her how old she is, she says that she's 28. Yeah. And either she's lying every other time that she said she was 25 and 28 is the truth or she was lying when she said she was 28. But like... I think she was lying when she said she's 28. Yeah. But I I, I don't know. I, I feel like they were doing such good work of laying down the differences, mm-hmm. laying down why it didn't work, and then to, like, put the little sparkly, happy, and they all lived happily ever after Yeah, at the end of it is just, oy. Yeah. Thoughtless. Yeah. It, again, like, it just sort of felt like, uh, and they lived happily ever after. The end. Mm-hmm. What? What? Why? Why did, why did they? Actually, that's a great question. Why? Yeah, expl- it really explained to me why that that is how this story should end. Because mm-hmm. I don't understand. It's not really presented. I thought that, like, the last, you know, probably 45 minutes is where it really starts to derail. Mm-hmm. And there are really good places of, like, breaks and dramatic tension. The second the gas shortage starts, you, you we get snapped out of, the, you know, the dreamland that they've both been living in. We're all of a sudden in this, you know piece of reality that Alana has to deal with that Gary doesn't and that's where this rift begins what brings them back to the dreamland what is it because if anything she has just been through the situation that is a like a very like complicated and like political issue she's just observed something really upsetting about somebody else's personal life 
I would not be running to a 15 year old after that. I'd be like, I got to find somebody who can understand what I just went through. Yeah. She spends the whole movie trying to figure out, does she actually want to be an adult? Um, Cause like, yeah, being an adult sucks, but it's also just a fact of your life. And the fact that she makes the decision not to is disappointing. Yeah. Because for all uh, intents and purposes, <laughs> she still has all of the power in this relationship. Yeah. And this, I mean, this movie is supposed to be about Alana. And so it doesn't really make any sense that um, everything that they had built up for her just suddenly doesn't matter in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, And I, you know, it's funny because I did some crowdsourcing because I I really wanted to hear from not Twitter and hear from my friends. I I posted Mm -hmm. yesterday um, and a lot of people mentioned that everything was going swimmingly until the end. Mm-hmm. And there were people who were like, it made me too mad. I couldn't get into it. Hated the relationship immediately. And I obviously respect that feeling. Yes. Sorry if I told you to watch the CW. I love the CW. But like, I, if you can't, if you, because of, you know, anything in your life makes it so, because we all, we approach all media with our own baggage. If there's anything mm-hmm. in life that makes you feel like you cannot watch this or even give it a chance or even like begin to, um, you know, intellectualize this stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool. Don't watch it. But everybody who did like it, who did like it, hated the ending. Yeah. And it's funny because I, the people who really like this movie, who have no qualms, there's a lot of like big filmy people. And I'm just a little bit like, okay, then why do you need to explain to me what you liked about the ending? Because I was like, it's, it's not even about like the ick factor. It's also about just like structurally, it doesn't make any sense. No. Um, and then like the pacing gets way off. Like it becomes less enjoyable to watch and not just from like a, I have qualms with this character study yeah. position. And I could feel when we were watching, like that we were laughing the whole time at the beginning, we were really engaged and there gets to be a point where like both of us sort of tapped out. The energy drops significantly. Yeah. I think it's the second time that we're in the, the, Japanese restaurant with this white guy who doesn't speak Japanese like with his like what is the point of that bit I don't I it's it's interesting because it's not like he's clearly there to be like a sort of mockery of like white racist assholes Mm -hmm. with like orientalist like fetishes yeah which is okay that's I guess that's interesting but has nothing to do with the rest of the movie well, and I remember the first time that bit came up, when, like, in our viewing experience, some guy in the theater laughed really loudly and then went, what the fuck? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And it's interesting because I'm like, that part was unnecessary and unfunny and ultimately, like, sacrificed the pacing of your movie because it retur- the bit comes back. But And the bit comes back just so that Alana can have that bathroom scene with Frisbee. Yeah. Where, you know, Frisbee's like, oh, you know, Gary makes me... But that could have that could have ha- had happened at the other restaurant. At literally any time, yes. Yeah, and I was just sort of like, what are we saying with this bit? It's wasting time. And then when you think about that and think about how rushed the, one, the ending is, you're like, that was... Time you could have spent... spent doing something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that the pacing really got thrown off. And, like, maybe those so- this, those seeds were sown at the beginning of the movie with scenes like that. But I was just sort of, like, clearly we were, like, at an impasse where, like, nothing could be cut. And mm-hmm. that ultimately ended. Because, like, 
not only does the end not make any sense to me, it's also like jammed in there so quickly. It doesn't even give me a chance to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been really interesting to see the people who are like, this is my be- the best movie of the year, which is not, not my best movie no. of the year. What's your best movie of the year? Oh, gosh. Our, we just watched Power of the Dog, which I think is phenomenal. Power of the Dog was really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I almost said Scream, but that came out in 2022. Yeah. Not. Um, tick, Tick, Boom. Tick, Tick, Boom was great. Really yeah. high up there, yeah. Um, more commercial, more musical. Yeah, but it really made this. me feel something. <laughs> it did. Um, yeah. And so when I'm seeing people being like, no qualms. Uh, yeah, I had I no qualms. qualms. <laughs> I had no qualms for like the first little bit and then was, and after we even left the theater, I was sort of like riding the high of like this fun seventies daydream. And then we started talking about it more and I was like, oh, hold on. What the F? Wait a minute. Um, but yeah, so enough about the ending. Let's move into some of the technical elements we liked. It's obviously a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It is gorgeous. It is absolutely beautiful. We talked, I mean, we talked very briefly about this, but like, um, it feels really authentic and genuine. It's not, um, there's no gloss over the Valley. Like it is how clearly how Paul Thomas Anderson remembers growing up there, but there's like an authenticity to that, that I think really works, um, with the story that they're trying to tell, mm-hmm. especially with like the costumes, the soundtrack. I know you really wanted to. Oh yeah. I mean like needle drops, like no other the Mm -hmm. soundtrack and it's like all of these all of these recognizable songs from very recognizable artists but it's not always the easiest song you could have picked from them you know Mm -hmm. it's not the three most famous whatever like David Bowie songs Mm -hmm. heroes doesn't play or anything yeah but we still get feel and I think that that sort of sets it so much closer to being like a um like makes it so much more authentic because Mm -hmm. the sort of pastiche version would play the more obvious music, but because it's all of these recognizable artists, it, it hits so well. It hits so quickly. Everything feels like really organic. The soundtrack is just incredible. This, and I think that's what helps make this movie feel kind of like tactile, almost like I really felt very immersed in the world that he was creating. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing that made it, you feel it, it's feel so immersive is the lighting. Mm-hmm. There is like, just this there's this scene in where like Alana calls Gary's house yeah and it's lit from like two he's in a dark hallway and it's lit from the kitchen which is just like the door of lighting in the back and the lamp that's on in the living room where his little brother is watching tv and you have the tv light Mm -hmm. and it feels so it because it feels like you're really in that room Mm -hmm. the way that 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 comes off the way it's lit on his face the way it sort of is able to convey emotions in that sense. It, it's really cozy. Yeah, I felt that way similarly about um, the ending scene where Alana and Brian, her coworker at the campaign, are like locking up, and they're just talking in the darkened office. I felt similarly about mm-hmm. the way that that scene was lit. Yeah, um, and then there's sort of more like less naturalistic, more um, showy type of things. Like there's a scene where somebody like blows a like like cigarette smoke and then walks through it and they're like backlit so you just see the smoke and then they walk through the cloud and it Mm -hmm. looks you know it looks sort of uh like magician-y yeah and then the stuff in the pinball arcade is like clearly like you know disco dreamland it's all pink and bright and like party lights and Mm -hmm. stuff so there's stuff that is really showy and kind of hilarious and 
um, set up to make you feel like you're in the, the, the daydream part of this. And then when it's hit with the more like natural versions of reality, it's really, it's a really good dichotomy. A lot of this movie is done in extreme close up and mm-hmm. like done tracking shots that way, which I think is really kind of commits more to like the sort of small intimacies of the movie. That yeah. was really good. I mean, the directing is, <laughs> yeah. it's Paul Thomas. Anderson. Yeah. It's going to be really, really good. So no. there's, um, one of my favorite tracking shots is towards the beginning of the movie when Gary brings his waterbed to like this fair to sell it. Mm-hmm. And the camera's just tracking him walking through the, the, um, the venue and just like saying hi to all of these people. And he's kind of like the Don, you yeah. know, of the teen fair that it's just a really great moment to like establish his character and the relationships that he has and the way that he presents himself Mm -hmm. I thought it was really good yeah I also think it's interesting how reflexive this movie is of the film industry both in like a sort of honorific way and a um derogatory way Mm -hmm. like it seems to be really interested in Hollywood but also meant to sort of raise the sort of um critiques of like the Hollywood men like Bradley Cooper Mm -hmm. and, and Sean Penn and even just sort of like the there's this whole thing where he Gary is going through auditions and he's not really a child star anymore and it's like he's grown out of his niche and is gonna not get any work basically which is part mm-hmm. of the reason why he goes on these like entrepreneuring escapades and you like he's charming mm-hmm. and he's totally charming but like because he doesn't fit you know the niche he used to like he's it it ousts him yeah and it's I, I think it's really interesting how much it like likes show business and also criticizes it well especially because like alana tries to get into show business and that's something that gary pushes her into and then she has that terrible experience with sean penn Mm -hmm. and realizes that she's not going to get anything like fulfilling out of that adventure and that's what makes her turn to politics like i i yeah i thought that was really interesting because it it seems very like a personal take on it Mm -hmm. almost um yeah yeah uh anything else Let's see. I think we've really covered a lot of what I um, really enjoyed about the technical elements. Cool. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. I laughed so much and like points for that because like I was saying, that's not, I'm not used to that yeah. in movies recently. Um, I wanted to love it, but I think I just liked it. I think so too. I think mm-hmm. this was three quarters of a great movie yeah. and one quarter of an okay movie. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how heavily that one quarter can be, especially if it's the last one, how Mm -hmm. much it is weighted against the curve. Um, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was so attentive and so specific. I think the acting was wonderful. I think it was really great to see, you know, somebody with so, like, um, somebody sort of so fresh, like Alana. Um, Clearly, Cooper Hoffman's going to be great um i think that for what this for the type of story it was telling it was incredibly sensitive mm-hmm. um so if you are on the fence about seeing this movie i do recommend it um i think you'll get something out of it i definitely think you'll get something out and if you walk away being like i hate it and you guys are gross for liking it and cool art let is, us know <laughs> art is meant to be subjectively observed um and yeah, I think that there's a lot of really good to say. I wish that the ending hadn't been the way it was. I wish it had been slightly. I think I think the I think it got so caught up in itself, it forgot to be thoughtful at the time that mattered most. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were going to give this a letter grade, what are you going to give it, Julia? I'm going to give it an A minus. I'm going to give it a B plus. I, from my perspective, I think that the 
positives of the film generally outweigh the negatives. Yeah. And the positives are so, so good. Yeah. That I think it deserves an A minus. Well, I think it has like a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So you're so. about right there. <laughs> Super cool. Teetering between the balance of an A minus and a B plus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I'm with you in some places. I think that we knew that this was going to be the way that we ended up thinking about it pretty much immediately after we mm-hmm. debriefed. Um, but yeah, I want to hear other people's thoughts on licorice pizza. If you disagree with us, if you agree with us, if you, uh, you know, have a, 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 a shoe to throw, throw it. I would love to hear more expansive opinions. Um, now I'll actually go through and read reviews. <laughs> so I, uh, so my opinion can, can be colored by, by other people. Um, this was a fun one to talk about. I'm excited for whatever we're going to see next in theaters. I literally couldn't tell you what it is because now that we're in January, like the stuff that's about to start coming out. If there's anything that you guys are really excited about, please let us know. Yes. Yeah. If you want to pick our movie, buy our movie tickets at our coffee and we'll see whatever the hell you want us to see. So that's ko-fi.com forward slash skilly and person. Pershing Productions. If you guys liked this episode of Sideflix, you can follow us on Twitter at SideflixPod, which is also our Instagram. You can follow our main podcast, which we in which we review uh, shows that only got one season called One Season Wonders. That's at OSWPod underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Um, if you like MTV's Teen Wolf, we went through and watched every episode of that and reviewed it on our first podcast, The Teen Wolf Rewolf. That is also everywhere. Um, other than that, I've been Christian. I've been Julia. And uh, we'll see you guys next time we go to the movies. Bye.